0: November is such a weird month because in November we focus on Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving's coming up and people start thinking about what can they be thankful for and we kind of start this focus on gratitude for all the blessings that we've got. But what happens the day after Thanksgiving? Black Friday, right? And now we have early Black Friday. So it's like a whole month of Black Friday's. And what's the point of Black Friday? You don't have enough. You need more. So on the one hand, we're being grateful for what we do have, but on the other hand, we're expressing this ingratitude of, well, it's not good enough. I need more stuff. And, and we think about not just how in November we, we kind of had this weird uh, conflict between gratitude and greed, but uh, it's a busy time of year too, isn't it? I mean, just the calendar. I was thinking about looking at the church calendar just for this month. It is making my head spin. And that doesn't include my personal calendar and Abbey School events and things like that. It's a busy time of year. And one person that I read about, he was writing a book. He's kind of part of this simplification, minimalist sort of movement. And he wrote about how progress in technology and the economy has produced more and more of everything faster and faster. And while there are some good things that have come through that progress, like being able to travel around the world within, you know, hours instead of weeks or months, the ability to talk to somebody, even face to face on your phone that could be on the other side of the planet, those things have also kind of left us overwhelmed. And, and, and we're worn out. Our, our reserves are depleted physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, and we're looking for relief. And so a lot of people kind of turn to this simplicity movement, this minimalist idea. And at the heart of that appeal is just the recognition that we don't really need more stuff. We don't need more stuff. We don't need to add more trips and activities and events to our already crowded calendar. What we need is margin. What we need is to get out of the rat race and learn to be content with what we already have, we need to recognize when we've had enough. Sort of like if you're at a buffet or at a church potluck, you've got to learn when you've had enough or you'll regret it later on that afternoon. But our culture doesn't like that word enough because if we have enough, then we don't spend more. If we're content, we don't want to accumulate more things and thus stimulate the economy that's never satisfied, right? It always needs to be stimulated some more. We need God's grace to help us refocus on His kingdom and His righteousness instead of chasing after the things the pagan world does. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 9, the Lord is speaking to him, and he says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. So, you know, we sing about God's amazing grace, but it's also God's sufficient grace. It's enough. That's what that word sufficient means. God's grace is enough. It's not just enough for the next life. God's grace is enough for this life. It's not just enough to forgive us of our sins. His grace is enough to see us through the things that we face and deal with every single day. So in this sermon series this month, Grace Enough, I want us to focus on God's unexpected gifts of grace, like grieving, gratitude, giving, and service. But before we do that, I would like us to bow our heads and close our eyes and seek the Lord's guidance during this time. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this month, and we are thankful for an opportunity for us to focus our hearts on the blessings you've given us to be grateful people. I pray, God, that you would help us to stand against the ways of this world, Lord. Help us to go against the grain and not get caught up in in this culture's drive for just more and more and never being satisfied. And God, I pray Your Spirit would illuminate Your Word for us today as we specifically think about the gift of grief. So we pray that You would open our hearts and open our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you may have never thought about grief as a gift. But doesn't Jesus say in the Beatitudes, Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, that Greek word for mourn simply means to express sorrow, to lament. And the Bible is filled with examples of this. Filled with examples of people grieving, lamenting. We looked a few weeks ago at how Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus, even knowing, has been said, the end of the story. Knowing he was about to raise them from the grave, he still wept. Because grief is normal. It's natural. It's necessary. Jesus said those who mourn are blessed. Why are they blessed? Because it says they will be comforted. Okay, now the Greek word for comfort there is the word parakaleo, and it means to call alongside or to come alongside. It's the idea of walking side by side with someone to encourage them and strengthen them on their journey. And Jesus later even says that He will send the Holy Spirit to us to be our comforter, our counselor, our paraclete, the one who comes alongside us as we journey with Jesus. So that's what the Greek word comfort means, to come alongside. What about the English word? Have you ever thought about that English word comfort? It's, it's made up of two words, come and fort, come and fortify. When we comfort someone, we come to them, we come alongside them, and we fortify them, we strengthen them. And that's what God promises to do for us. He doesn't leave us alone in our grief. We're not helpless in our grief. He gives us everything we need for grieving, and he gives us the strength to go on living today. David wrote in Psalm thirty eleven, You turned my lament, my mourning, my grief into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Now, David knew what it was to be blessed by God. He was a man after God's own heart. God blessed him in so many ways. God called him, anointed him to be the king of Israel. He is the beginning of the Davidic line through which Jesus came. He was the greatest king that ancient Israel ever knew. But did that spare him from sorrow and loss? No. I think there's a reason why one of David's most powerful, beautiful psalms, the 23rd Psalm, is used so much at funerals. Because when David writes about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not theoretical for him. He's writing from personal experience. And David is a good example for us to consider in how God gives grace for grief. I want us this morning to look briefly at three separate events in the life of David to discover the times we need to grieve and the tools that God gives us to grieve. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel 18. This first story illustrates three broad categories of loss that we will likely face. And sometimes, like David does in this story, we may experience all three of these at the same time. So in this story, we see that We see how to know the times to grieve. How do we know the times in which we are to grieve? Now, in this story, just to set you up a little bit, David's son Absalom um, has attempted a military coup. And David even has had to flee Jerusalem. He's on the run, much like he had to do in his younger days against Saul. He's out in the wilderness hiding out. Absalom uh, takes control of the palace and the city of Jerusalem. And they basically go to war. It's like a civil war. And Absalom is slain in battle by David's general, Joab. And so we read in 2 Samuel 18, beginning in verse 24, David was sitting between the city gates. When the watchman went up to the roof of the city gate and over to the wall, the watchman looked out and saw a man running alone, and he called out and told the king. The king said, "Ah, oh, if he's alone, he bears good news. As the first runner came closer, the watchman saw another man running, and he called out to the gatekeeper, look, Another man is running running alone. This one is also bringing good news, said the king. You can almost kind of detect here in David that he's already maybe aware that something's not right. and He's trying to convince himself. Everything's going to be fine. The watchman said, The way the first man runs looks to me like the way of Ahimaaz, son of Zadok. This is a good man. He comes with good news, the king commented again. It's like he's just trying to reassure himself everything's going to be Okay. Ahimaaz called out to the king, all is well, and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. He continued, blessed be the Lord your God. He delivered up the men who rebelled against my lord the king. And the king asked. So, so basically saying, you're victorious. You've won the battle. But look what David says. Is the young man Absalom all right? Ahimaaz replied, When Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a big disturbance, but I don't know what it was. And the king said, Move aside and stand here. So he stood to one side. Just then the Cushite came and said, May my lord the king hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by freeing you from all who rise against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom all right? The Cushite replied, I wish that the enemies of my lord the king, along with all who rise up against you with evil intent, would become like that young man. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber above the city gate and wept. As he walked, he cried, My son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. It's a picture of how intense and overwhelming grief can be. David, the great psalmist, was at a loss for words. He knew nothing else to say but to repeat over and over again, my son, Absalom, my son. We see in this tragic story three kinds of loss to grieve. First, it's the grieving of lost relationships. We grieve when we lose relationships. Absalom rebelled against his father, planned to murder his father. So long before this moment when Absalom died, David had already begun to grieve the loss of this relationship. And I'm sure that part of that, David wrestled with feelings of guilt for the ways he had failed his family, the, 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 the kind of father that he wanted to be but never quite could be. And we experience grief when we lose meaningful relationships in our lives. And we may struggle with feelings of guilt, shame, blame. We may ask ourselves, you know, what could I have done differently? How could I have handled that situation differently? Maybe the loss came through something painful like a divorce. Or something good, like moving away to college or getting a new job and a promotion and having to, to move away, getting married and moving away. Those are good things. So, so that loss of relationship can come through painful things as well as through good things. Or like, like David's loss, maybe it was a relationship that was broken by harsh words, by a loss of trust, a loss of respect. Sometimes we grieve a lost relationship. But secondly, we also grieve the loss of life. Of course, this is the most common kind of grief. When we think of grief, we think of the death of someone that we love. And I think sometimes that makes it harder for us to come to terms with these other forms of grief. But when someone we love dies, we experience a powerful, deep sense of loss. I can't imagine losing a child the way David lost Absalom. David even wished that he had died instead of his son. I think even though it meant that his throne was safe and the, and the nation was safe, I think David would have preferred to have lost to the kingdom if it meant he could have kept his own son. Nothing could replace Absalom. Nothing else mattered in that moment. And that's the way we feel when we grieve the loss of someone's life. And then the third time that we grieve is for the loss of opportunity. And this is, I think, the most overlooked source of grief. When Absalom died, David lost any hope for reconciliation. That's it. There was no more opportunity to make things right with his son. No no chance to work things out, to ask for forgiveness, to repair that broken relationship. And we also experience lost opportunities in this life. Maybe you lose a job. You take a financial hit. Maybe you develop a disability. Something happens and you're no longer able to do the things you used to do. Or you develop some kind of a health issue that limits you in some way. Maybe you don't get accepted into that school that you wanted to go to. And whenever we suffer a loss that strips away our hopes and dreams and we realize we can't do the things that we had wanted to do or planned to do, it's a loss. And it's something that needs to be grieved. Grief is more than just a feeling that we experience. In fact, I think grief is less an emotion than it is a process, a journey. Grief isn't just something we feel. Grief is something that we do. Now, of course, when we experience a loss, we do feel things. We feel pain. We feel anguish. We feel anger. We feel despair. We feel confusion. We feel emptiness. We, we associate strong emotions with grief, and rightly so, But grief is a gift of grace from God by which we can freely acknowledge our loss and our feelings and put those feelings to work to help us to look up and remember this is not the end of the story. Now, the next two accounts in David's life teach us how to grieve. We looked at when to grieve, the times for grief, but now let's look at some stories that show us the tools that God gives us for how to deal with our grief. Look at Second Samuel chapter 1. Second Samuel picks up where First Samuel leaves off. At the end of 1 Samuel, Saul and his son Jonathan, David's best friend, die in battle. And David is now going to be the king. So in, in a way, that's, it's kind of good for David. It's good news. This is in your favor, David. Just like the defeat with Absalom, but David's response isn't one of celebration. It's one of grief. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. David took hold of his clothes. As soon as he hears the word that Saul and Jonathan are dead, David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And all the men with him did the same. They mourned, wept, and fasted until the evening for those who died by the sword. For Saul, his son Jonathan, the Lord's people, and the house of Israel. The first tool... In dealing with grief, we see here is we need to embrace the season of grief. And we've talked about those seasons. Loss of opportunity, relationship, loss of life. We embrace the season of grief because, again, grief is natural. It's necessary. It's a normal response to any loss in our lives. It's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be ashamed of. David embraced his sorrow in front of his troops. Publicly. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to fake being some stoic strong and silent hero type. No, he fully expressed his emotions in front of his men. Now, I understand the impulse for a parent or a spouse to try to hold it together for the family in times of grief, but be careful you don't bottle up your grief and let it turn to poison in your heart. Embrace the season of grief. And then secondly, express the soul in grief. Once you embrace that season, you acknowledge your loss, that this is going to be a time of grief for you, Express your soul in grief. Look on at verses 17 and 18. David sang the following lament for Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the Judites be taught the song of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar, and then it gives us this song. So David writes this lament to express his grief, and he teaches it to his men for them to sing as well to express their grief. Listen, grief is work that each of us must do on our own, but grief is also a work that we should do in community. No one can grieve for you. No one can do that work of grief for you, but other people can grieve with you. And we need that. We need people to grieve with us. We need to look for opportunities to grieve together. That's part of the value of a funeral. And a visitation and a meal together, it lets you know that you're not alone in your grief. You're surrounded by people who feel what you feel, who are sharing in this loss with you, who can come alongside you and help you express your sorrow and share your stories and laugh and cry in community. Shared grief brings comfort and it opens us to God, to His presence that brings peace. Because others are coming alongside to fortify us to strengthen us by their presence. And in addition to sharing our grief with others, expressing our grief with others, as David does here, we need to express our grief with God. And we do that through lament. We do that through prayer. Jesus wept. Job wept. David wept. Jeremiah wept. They wept openly with their friends and family. Their lament is a matter of public record. We have it written down in the Bible. The word, the biblical word for this weeping and mourning is lament. At least one-third, and some people say closer to one-half, of all of the psalms are psalms of lament. Jeremiah, his laments are put together in a book in our Bible called the book of Lamentations. It's a book of laments. I think the reason that we're blessed when we mourn, when we lament is because we're not really able to receive comfort from others if we don't at first acknowledge that we've lost something, right? You can't get better if you don't acknowledge to yourself and your doctor that you're sick. And we can't experience God's help and healing in our grief unless we acknowledge it, that we've experienced this loss. In his book, A Sacred Sorrow, Michael Card encourages us to recover what he calls the lost language of lament. He points out how lament really began in the garden when paradise was lost and humanity was cut off from God's presence. I mean, if you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve experienced all three kinds of loss. Loss of relationship with each other and with God. Loss of opportunity, right? They were, uh, they were excluded from the tree of life and cast out of the garden. Loss of life. At that moment, death began to reign in our mortal bodies. And because of the continued effects of sin, we suffer those same losses Today. I think that's why Paul writes in Romans eight twenty two that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He's saying that all of creation is groaning and lamenting and crying. Maybe this is one reason why babies cry the first thing when they're born. Because we come into a world that's broken a world we were never created to inhabit. Card writes, so we were all born into a world that we were not really made to inhabit. We were made to inhabit a perfect world, not a broken, sin-sick world. He says we were created for God, made to flourish in the comfort of the presence of our Father within the warm context of His undeniable love. But in this fallen world, he says we're cut off from both because of our sin. And we've been crying and lamenting ever since. I think it's unfortunate when we teach children and when we were taught as children to stop crying, you know? Maybe your parents said to you, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You ever heard that? (laughs) Maybe you've even said that. Or even worse, to tell little boys, big boys don't cry. Tell that to David, Israel's mightiest king. Tell that to Jesus. Children cry because they want the comfort of their parents' presence. They want the assurance of their family's love and care. But sadly, we teach children to deny their sorrow, to silence their lament. Is it any wonder we grow up to be so depressed and anxious and and neurotic? We have all these nervous breakdowns and have to be medicated. I think it's because when we refuse to express our grief and sorrow, we actually rob ourselves of our true identity before God. What I mean by that is without lament, we can blind ourselves to our deep need for a Savior. Lament reminds us that our world is broken and fallen. Our lament reminds us that we need someone greater than ourselves to come alongside us and help us. We need to rediscover the lost biblical language of lament. And it can be creative. You can be creative in your sorrow. I've known people that have written their laments down as a letter to their loved one who's gone. Or maybe you sing a sad song to God. Or maybe for you it's it's arts and crafts or gardening or cooking or sewing or some way. Whatever works for you that can help you express that grief. Get it out. Talk to someone. Tell stories. Laugh and cry with people about the person that you've lost. Look at verses 23 and 26 of this chapter. The end of this song that David teaches his men to sing. Saul and Jonathan loved and delightful. They were not parted in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxurious things, who decked your garments with gold ornaments. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. For I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. Notice how David in this song honored and remembered Saul and Jonathan. Maybe you can do the same thing. Maybe you can do something with your family. Create a new tradition around the holidays to remember and honor the loved one that you've lost. Maybe you can give to the church in their name, start a ministry in their name that you know was something that was important to them. These are all ways that we can express our grief and sorrow. Let's look at one more story as we continue to think about expressing our grief, but also as we move towards the final point. Look at Second Samuel chapter 12. Again, David experienced a lot of loss in his life. He experienced a lot of seasons of grief. This is, of course, after his sin with Bathsheba. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. Uh, he tries to bring her husband home from the one of his men fighting his war, where David should have been. He brings him home to try to get him to, to go to his wife so he'll think it's his child and the man is too honorable to do that while his fellow soldiers are on the field of battle. So David sends him back into battle with the order So basically, leave him out to dry so that the enemy will kill him. And the enemy does, and he dies. And so David takes Bathsheba as his wife. She bears this child. In the meantime, the prophet Nathan has confronted David about his sin. David has confessed his sin. He's repented of his sin. But part of the consequence of his sin is that that child will get sick and die. And so look with me at 2 Samuel 12, beginning in Verse 15. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became deathly ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home and spent the night lying on the ground in prayer. The elders of his house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. David embraces a season of grief for his sick child. He privately expresses his grief and tears, in prayer, in fasting. Prayer is a powerful tool that can help us through our grief. And listen, when you're in the throes of grief, you may not feel like praying. You may not know what to pray. But the good news there is that God even comes to us in that weakness. His grace is enough even when we don't know what to pray. As Paul writes in Romans 8.26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit can pray through and for us. And when we seek the Lord in prayer, He gives us strength in our weakness. Hope in despair. Faith in the face of doubt. Wisdom when we feel scattered and confused. God never leaves us alone in our grief. Sometimes, like David did here, we may even begin grieving before the loss takes place. I've experienced this. I know others have. You have a loved one that's been deathly ill, a terminal illness. They've struggled. They've had a difficult time and you feel torn. You don't know even what to pray for God's miraculous healing or just for His mercy to take this person on home. And you're torn in this struggle for how you should feel and pray about this. Death is certainly inevitable for all of us this side of the return of Christ. We are keenly aware in our own and in in the deaths of others that we are made from the dust of the earth. We are weak, we are flawed, we are imperfect, and brokenness, pain, illness, mistakes, guilt are a part of our earthly existence. And eventually death comes to these earthly bodies. But listen, we are more than just the dust of the earth. We are also the breath of heaven. God breathed His breath into us to make us living beings. And so every human being, yes, we are flawed and broken and death is our destiny this side of the return of Christ. But heaven is our hope. Eternity is in our hearts. I think that's why we lament death and separation and grief and we try to stave those off as long as we can because we know that's not the way we were made to be. That's not a part of God's original plan. And I think it's, it's right to pray against all odds for God to heal somebody and save their life. I have no problem with that because we know that God does hear our prayers and at times He even answers them the way that we hope. But we also know that sometimes He hears our prayers and He doesn't answer them the way that we hope. And it's at those times we need to follow David's example have the same kind of trusting submission that he had that Jesus had in the garden of gethsemane where you can say this is what I want god but not my will but yours be done sadly though some people get stuck in their grief they get bogged down they turn mourning into self-pity denial bitterness remember grief is a process it's a journey, and nobody can tell you how long your journey's supposed to take. Nobody can tell you where you should be in this journey right now. It's different for all of us, but I do think we need to try to make forward progress all the time. Listen, we are made to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not wallow in the valley of the shadow of death. And if you find yourself stuck in your grief, please come and see me. Find somebody to talk to that can help you through your grief. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Christ must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is our enemy. It's the result of sin. It was never part of God's original intent for his creation. And in the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus defeated death. He took death head on and he won. But for us here and now, death still feels like an enemy, doesn't it? Cuz even just temporarily it separates us from those we love. Here and now we still feel the sting of death, but there's coming a day when we won't anymore. There's coming a day, as Ben said, every tear will be wiped from our eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more parting. Paul writes in First Thessalonians four, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, meaning in death, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Yes, we grieve. And grief is work. Grief is not easy. But we grieve with hope. Because in Christ, all the goodbyes lose their finality. In Christ, pain and joy, worry and freedom, longing and gaining are no longer opposites through the crucifixion and resurrection. They somehow come together to create a deeper reality for us that we call hope. Hope is our reality. Even when we lose what is dearest to us, God comes alongside of us to walk with us through our grief, to strengthen us, to fortify us. He comes to us as our closest companion. You know, in the Mosaic law, God allowed the people of Israel to grieve in the ways that were customary to the cultures around them. They could weep. They could tear their clothes, as we saw David do. They could put on sackcloth and ashes on their head, and they could fast. But there was one custom of grieving among the pagan nations around them that God forbade. One. Do you know what it was? Self-mutilation. People would cut themselves in their grief. And God specifically forbids that. Why? Because it leaves a scar. And He wants us to remember that because of Him, Death is not permanent. It doesn't need to leave a scar. God doesn't want us to be scarred by our losses. We grieve not like pagans who have no hope. We grieve in hope. We grieve with grace. The Psalms of Lament in the Bible all begin with a plea born from pain, but they always end with a praise born from peace. Because lament is filled with grace grace enough to grieve and comfort one another. Look at verses 18 through 20 here in 2 Samuel 12. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate, meaning they're afraid he's going to hurt himself. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat. So they served him food and he ate. After David grieved his loss and accepted that God had not intervened as he had hoped, he got up, he washed, he changed clothes, he ate, he worshipped. Now, whenever someone in the Bible washes and changes their clothes, it signifies a new beginning. David was, was beginning something new. It's like baptism. Baptism is a symbol of new beginning, that the old is gone, the new has come. And because the Lord's mercies are new every morning, we can find a new beginning every day, no matter what we've suffered, no matter what we've done. Sorrow may last through the night, but joy does come in the morning. Amen? So David accepted his loss. He grieved, and he went back to living his life. And when we suffer a loss in our lives, we need to follow David's example. When you've done all you can do, you've prayed all you can pray, it's now out of your hands. Let it go to God. And let Him turn you loose from carrying that burden. And that brings us to the final tool in grief. We embrace the season of grief. We express our soul in grief to others, to God. And finally, we encourage others in their grief. Look at verse 24. It says, David then comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her, slept with her. She gave birth to a son and named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Notice David didn't go to Bathsheba right away and try to comfort her. He first needed to embrace his own season of grief. He first needed to express his own soul in grief. He needed to grieve in his own way, to come to terms with his loss in his own time. And after that, and after he was able to take up life once more, then David knew he was in a place where he could go and comfort his wife. There are times when we need others to come alongside us and comfort us in our grief, and there then there are times that we can come alongside others in theirs. Paul tells us that God is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You may be in a place right now in your grief where you're able to come alongside others and encourage them. And if that's the case, please do so. There are people that desperately need you to come alongside and fortify them. You have so much to offer so much to gain. It can be such a blessing to you if you can become a channel of God's comfort to other people. You can be the one through whom God's grace can flow. Grace enough to help someone else in their grief. I want to invite you for just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to guide us through just a brief time of prayer. And it doesn't matter how long it's been since your loss, whatever that loss may be, loss of relationship, opportunity, the loss of a loved one, May God soften your heart. Maybe you've been bottling up your grief. But also don't think that you just have to kind of get over it and move on. May God forgive us when we perpetuate that false notion that there comes a time you just need to get over it and move on. You will always carry in your heart the sorrow of the loss you've experienced. But our hope is in knowing that we can place our hearts in our hands, in the God of all comfort. So I want to ask you right now to be open to the Spirit's leading. And and maybe the decision you need to make today is to comfort other people. Listen, you're not called to comfort everybody. That's God's job. But maybe God is calling you specifically to come alongside someone in their journey of grief. Let's pray. Father, you are the God of all comfort, and we all stand in need of you. Gently break down the walls of pride and self reliance that often cover up hearts that are full of unexpressed lament. Merciful God, we know from your word that death and suffering are not a part of how your beautiful creation was supposed to work. They are intruders from the enemy. We know that we are pilgrims in a world filled with dark valleys that we must walk through. And so we humbly ask that you remember us in your mercy. Nourish our souls with patience. Comfort us with your goodness. Lift your countenance upon us and give us peace. And we ask this through the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Maybe this morning God is speaking to your heart. Maybe not about a specific grief in your life, but I want to tell you there's a loss in all of our lives that we need to grieve. And that is a loss of a relationship with God because of our sin. Paul said that, Jesus, that death came through a man, sin and death came through a man, through Adam, but life, grace and forgiveness come through a man, and that is Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you don't know that you know that on the other side of your death you'll stand before God's presence in heaven, accepted because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, I invite you to come this morning and know that. Be certain about where your eternal destiny will lie. Maybe God has spoken to you in another way this morning. Maybe you've been inspired by these girls' baptism that you need to do the same thing. You need to profess your saving faith in Jesus by going through the waters of baptism. Maybe God is calling you and your family to join this church. Whatever He's saying to you, let's stand together. Our instruments are going to come. And as they do, I want us to respond as the Holy Spirit of God leads us.